Welcome to This is Type 1, real-life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 25 years. I'm a life coach, fantasy author, and engineer. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. Hi, I'm Jesse Tugney, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 10 years now. I'm currently a student at Montana State and learning more and more about how our world works. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, feature members of the type 1 community who are just like you, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 137 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, we're talking with Allison Nimlos, a licensed associate marriage and family therapist, diabetes health coach, and type 1 diabetic. She has a lot of wonderful advice for people feeling distressed and burned out with diabetes. Before we get into the interview, Jesse has the win of the week. All right, you guys. So my roommate actually moved out over break. So I finally <laughs> kind of got the A-OK to start making the whole room my own space. And so there are comforters on the sheets now or on the bed. My mother has stopped calling my half of the room a prison cell. So I feel like that's more of my win is that I'm actually starting to make my room a home instead of just somewhere I go to sleep and do homework. So that's about it. And it's starting to get more organized and everything's getting pulled together. So yes, that's my win. It's a process. <laughs> I love that. So for my fail this week, I, I went on a hike this morning. Before I went on the hike, I ate breakfast about 45 minutes ahead of time. I put myself on exercise mode about half an hour before we started the hike. When we got to the trailhead, I was 143 and my number was actually going up a little bit. We got within four switchbacks of the end of the trail before my number decided to be 100 with a straight arrow down. So I had two smarty rolls and uh, we ended up turning around instead of going the rest of the way up. This was at the M trail in Missoula. And so it was kind of both a win and a fail in one, um, a win for stopping and not trying to push through and a fail for my number not behaving how I wanted it to because I thought I had been doing everything right up until I saw the arrows down, which was fun, but not. All right, Jesse, what is the tip this week? All right. My little hack is that, well, I have two. Technically, I have two this week. My first tip is to get organized, meaning start with one drawer, one little cupboard, move something around, just some space where you know you'll be at a lot and get that organized. And then if you want to keep going, great. If you don't want to, that's also great. You got at least one thing done. And then my second one is if you live in a very dry area, and I didn't know this because I just moved to Bozeman. Get lotion for your hands because mine started to crack this last two weeks. Because I also work as a barista now. So I wash my hands a ton in the dry air. So I finally got some aqua for this weekend and my hands feel a lot better. So <laughs> the end, that's it. My knuckles are dry and they have been dry since we moved here. So I also have aqua for my poor dry cracked knuckles. And that's actually kind of like a type 1 diabetes thing, I think, is have, like having skin problems like that. So another diabetes-related thing. And now, here's Allison. Hi, Allison. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Tell us who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. Oh, that's a big question. 
I am a mental health therapist, first and foremost, and I'm also a diabetes health coach. And I have had type 1 diabetes for 28 years. I was diagnosed at age eight, which for people who don't like to do mental math, I am 36. And yeah, I have been involved in the diabetes community for as long as I can remember. I uh, got involved in high school and I haven't looked back. So it plays a very significant role in my life professionally as a therapist, working with people with diabetes and chronic illness, and as a health coach, and then personally, just in my everyday daily life. What's the story of your diagnosis? Everybody seems to have some kind of fun story or weird story or scary story. What's yours? It's not scary. Well, it's not scary. I don't think it was scary. I mean, I think everyone's is a little scary. It starts with me trying to get out of going to school. I remember claiming to my mother that I thought I had an ear infection. I did not have an ear infection. So whether or not I actually thought I had an ear infection and just didn't, or if I was like, I think I have an ear infection, who knows? I don't, my memory does not go back that far in that kind of detail. But yeah, we, I, I just, I woke up one morning and I said, mom, I think I have an ear infection, whether or not I actually thought I did. She took me to the pediatrician and he was like, you don't have an ear infection. <laughs> and uh, while we were there, my, my mom, kind of had this like sidebar conversation. I just remember, I remember sitting on the bed while she talked to him and she was asking about my getting up in the middle of the night, like three or four times in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom, was drinking a ton of water, was waiting in line after gym class to drink water and then immediately getting into the back of the line to go through it again to get more water because I was so thirsty all the time. And the doctor said, you know, well, we can run some tests. And they had me do a urine test because I remember being in the bathroom with these like really kind of spooky fluorescent lights. It was very poorly lit bathroom. And like, Two or three hours later, we got the phone call that I had type 1 diabetes. And they're like, you have to go to the hospital. And so our next door neighbor came over to watch my little brother, who would have been just turned four. And yeah, my parents drove me to the hospital. And that that was the beginning. So it was a fairly unremarkable. I feel like it's not really... I mean, it's kind of funny because I'm like, I tried to get out of school by saying I had an ear infection and then I had got diabetes. So I mean, it was a little, a little twist of fate, you know, like who knew um, when I woke up that morning, that was what I was going to have. But it was really... There was no... Outside of being in DKA, there was no you know major medical emergency. I was okay, which I am very grateful for. I think I probably had been in the onset of diabetes for maybe three or four weeks tops. So given from when we remember the symptoms starting. Did you or your parents know anything about diabetes before then? Like, is there any family history? Yeah, sort of. So my grandfather was diagnosed with what I think now is Lada. I We think he actually had Lada. He we were told like growing up, like, oh, your grandpa has type two, but takes insulin. And so 
like back then there was no lot a lot it was not a wasn't a thing in 1994 and so it was just like oh you know but he was he was an adult so that if you were an adult being diagnosed with diabetes you had type 2 diabetes if you're a kid and got diabetes it was type 1 like that was just that was how the world worked back then it was not this you know spectrum the way that it is now it was just <laughs> one or the other and so yeah, I remember, you know, my my grandmother saying like, oh, you know, coming and visiting a few months after I was diagnosed and just being able to drop the syringes very easily because she would drop my grandfather's insulin. And so we kind of had some familiarity with it, but it wasn't a big part of my mom's childhood. I think my grandfather, I think she was maybe even a little bit like a teenager when he was diagnosed. I don't really remember when my grandfather was diagnosed. I just know that he he had it when I was diagnosed. He he'd already had it. I don't know the timeline, but he already had it and so my parents were somewhat familiar with it, but they lived in California and we were living in Oregon. So we didn't really see them a, a ton. So we were we were sort of on our own as far as like actually having any real family connection to it. So it was definitely a little... I mean, I think my my main frame of reference for living with diabetes was Stacey McGill from the di- from the, the Babysitter's Club. I really did not really know anyone or have any kind of sense of like what it meant to, to live with diabetes, except through those books, which I loved, still do. Those books are pretty great. <laughs> So with that, are there any like favorite or least favorite things you have about being type 1 diabetic? Mm, my my favorite thing. It's like there's a favorite thing. Actually, okay. So favorite thing is, I mean, I am not afraid to use the diabetes card. So my favorite thing is getting the fast pass at Disney World. I mean, man, like that's... Uh, people aren't using their diabetes to get that. I I can't help you. Like, there's just. I will say you can also get you can get the America the Beautiful Pass. For yeah, free, for life. I, I've been meaning to get that. I bet it's on my list. It's on. My husband found out about that. And he was like, "Is this real?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." So it's no, so we're easy. We're doing. So we're gonna easy. do it. We're gonna oh do it. God. I just um, need instructions yeah. on how. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I think those those kinds of things are definitely like, you have to find, I think you have to find the, you have to make the fun. Sometimes I think you have to find it or you have to, you have to make it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad would give me a dollar every time my blood sugar was a hundred, which I just thought was like the coolest thing. And apparently other parents do that too. So I don't know if my dad got it somewhere. There's like this like parent, I don't know system or like, you know, communication thing going on, but apparently other parents do that as well. But I, I just thought that was really kind of fun that they, that they did that, you know, just to make, and, and you don't, it's not like you're going to hit a hundred all the time. So it made it kind of special, you know, it was like, you know, and this was back, this was back when we, you know, checked on a meter, <laughs> you know, that was, you know, you're counting down and then it was said, you know, a hundred and I always tried to get my dad to give me $2 for 200 and it somehow never worked. It just, he was like, no, I'm kidding. No, I did try, but I'm not, I, I, I uh, never really thought he was going to go for it. What else? Oh, diversities. Um, that's another thing that I have grown up. I don't do it as much now that I'm on my own 
we don't celebrate it in the same way, but we we would market growing up and we would do a little like my parents would buy me like a little gift or a card to kind of mark the completion of another year and to kind of say, you know, we're so proud of you and, you know, good job taking care of yourself. And and, and I I appreciate that and I encourage it for other people with diabetes. I don't necessarily need it as much at my age and having lived it, lived with it for as long as I have. Although I am I am thinking about doing something for 30. 30 is coming up in a couple of years. I might I might do something for that. But those are some I think those are some favorite things. And I think the community too. I think that goes without saying. I think the community, the diabetes community is I mean, I don't know much about other patient communities, other communities for other chronic illnesses, but I think the diabetes community is pretty cool. The way that we have set up this society of sorts, I think is is pretty neat to see how it's grown over the years, having been in it as long as I have to see what has developed as far as friendships and relationships and resources and support. It just like every year there's something bigger, there's something cooler, there's something more special to support people. And I think that's just a really neat way that people have really been able to kind of galvanize behind this cause to do some pretty remarkable things. So I say that's a favorite. That's a favorite thing. Maybe not about the illness. Maybe it's maybe more about the people, the people who have the illness. But yeah, it's one of my one of my favorite things about it. And what about the least favorite things? One of my uh you know this is a tough question because it's, you know, we could spend the entire hour talking about that. But I think when it comes down to it, my least favorite thing about diabetes is probably the interruptions. I think just being interrupted, like when you're, you know, when you're in the middle of something and you have to stop and do something else, it's kind of like, it's kind of a drag. It's probably like my least, my least favorite thing. It's probably when diabetes feels the most noticeable. Is when it's being, you know, having to like check my blood sugar and carb count and give dosing before like meals and whatever. It's like that's just part of my like my day. Like I just it's just I factor it in. It's just a, it's a thing that I do. I sort of can account for it as far as time and like the structure of my day. But things that I can't predict as well. That's that can be tough. I think that can be tough. The interruptions. So I would go with my- that. My thing with interruptions currently is hiking. So if I'm hiking and my number is nice when I start and then it just takes a nosedive, I'm like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm getting yeah, better have- at dealing with it though, but that's my my main interruption hurdle. Exactly. Yeah. What do you use to manage your diabetes? So insulin pump, CGM, all of the above. I use an Omnipod. I'm on the dash. and. I use the Dexcom G6 and maybe by the time this comes out, I'll be on the five. Maybe not. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. TBD. You can come ask me when this comes out if I'm on it or not. But yeah, that's what I currently use and what I hope to be using in the future. And then have you found like a diet or a type of like eating style that works best for you to manage your butchers? My diet consists of food I enjoy eating. That is such a diplomatic answer and I love it. 
It's true. I mean, it's not, it's just, yeah, no, I don't have a diet. I don't, I, I've done, I, uh, I've done, I've dabbled. I've dabbled in a couple different things for different reasons over the years. And I just come back to food I like because I like it and I want to eat it. So, you know, my philosophy, I guess, and what I, what I, I try to help the clients that I work with is to be able to figure out how to eat the food that you enjoy eating and that you want to eat. To not feel restricted, but to feel empowered and educated on how to do it and, and what it's going to take. And sure, there are some foods that are easier and there are some foods that are harder, that take more time and more a little more effort, a little more thinking. But I think all of it is doable as possible. And it's really up to the individual to say and to determine what that's actually going to look like. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always encourage people to experiment with foods just to find out what works best for them. Even if it ends up not being something that I do or something that Jesse does, as long as it works for them, that's, that's what works best. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So since you are a therapist, I'm wondering if does burnout have a specific meaning in the therapy world? And if you've experienced burnout for yourself or your clients, what do you find helps get out of it? Yeah, that's a that's a good, uh, really good question. So yeah, burnout, I mean, burnout is a term that's used very broadly, you know, uh, to describe pretty much fatigue and exhaustion around any kind anything that's really repetitive and, and that's sort of emotionally burdensome, maybe physically burdensome. So I mean we can get I mean career like work burnout is probably the most common that you would see outside of diabetes that that term gets floated around you know you know being burned out at work. You can see that with like student athletes getting burned out on like performing and like, you know, they're, they're, you know, what they're doing. So it, it's, it's a term that can, that means kind of means what it means in diabetes, but is, is it can be applied really generally, really broadly to a lot of different areas of life. And so within diabetes, there's, there's a lot of research going on as to what burnout is how to define it, how to identify it, how to treat it. There's there's still a lot of research being done in that area. And some of what they're finding is that it really is quite a bit of a spectrum that we can see people who are are sort of on the end where it might look a little bit more just like distress. So we, you might hear the term diabetes distress floating around the community or showing up in in the scientific literature and distress is really how most of us feel about diabetes, you know, that we're frustrated, we're overwhelmed, we're tired, we're just like hopeless or just we're sort of losing steam. We're just like, it's just hard. It's just hard. It's just hard. And it can start and it can progress and it can really progress to a point where 
And, and again, you know, distress and burnout, are they, could they be interchangeable words? Sure. Do they have to be? I don't think so. So we might look at burnout as being more that sort of end game with the distress where we now start seeing people who don't just feel upset about having diabetes or are, you know, are feeling really strong emotions about it and are having distressing thoughts about diabetes, but they're also starting to stop managing their diabetes. They're starting to reduce their self-care. They're delaying or skipping boluses, or they're not carb counting as precisely as they used to, or they're forgetting to bring things with them. They're not wanting to wear their CGM device anymore, or they've turned off the alerts. They're, they're sort of starting to kind of, and really as a way to help them, it's a, it's a coping mechanism. All of this is very understandable. And we really want to look at it from the, the lens of this is, this is coping. We're coping with something very stressful, but people in order to cope with the stress and the emotions and, and everything that comes along with diabetes, we start to try to kind of push it away. We're like, I'm, I'm so overwhelmed and I don't know what to do that I need to, I need to really limit. And it's not necessarily a conscious thing that somebody's going, I need to limit <laughs> diabetes, but it's sort of what they, how they kind of naturally, um, like in the moment, very reflexively are responding to the alarm goes off. Oh, I'll deal with it later. And they might honestly mean like, oh, I'm going to just, I'm going to deal with it later. And then they hours go by and they might not have intended to go that long. But that's what ended up happening. And so for a lot of people, they don't actually, because it can be really insidious and it can be really slow, some people don't realize that they're burned out until they get that A1C back and it's gone up a percent or two or more. And then it's like, oh, wow, I think I'm actually struggling right now with, with you know, diabetes. And other people are much more attuned to themselves and, and, and they can see it coming. It just, it depends on the person, but that, that tends to kind of be different, some different ways that diabetes, distress and burnout can manifest. Uh, I think you asked another question. What was your other, there was something else in there? Yeah. If like, what kind of advice would you have for the type ones who are feeling burnt out? Take my class. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, I do have a class and you should take it, but in absence of that, I think some of the things that I think the, I, the number one thing it, I think that has been really helpful for me and for the, the people that I work with is really establishing a sense of where is the distress manifesting itself the most. So we think of like, oh, it's just diabetes. And that might be true. Like, I, I mean, it is true. Like it's diabetes. And that's what distinguishes it be- between distress, like diabetes burnout and diabetes distress and say something like depression or anxiety, which is more like sort of broad. It's a little bit more broad, shows up in, in more more settings, we call them. And so some of the things, you know, that can be really helpful is is first identifying does diabetes distress show up in in a particular way? Are we finding ourselves really distressed around food? Are we finding ourselves really distressed around hypoglycemia? Are we having distress around comments from family or friends, or maybe it's our employer. And, and maybe it's all of the above. But when you what I've really liked um, how the practice has developed is 
identifying these subtypes of diabetes distress. And you can actually, the listeners can go to diabetesdistress.org and they can take a self-assessment, which will score and let them know where their areas of distress are the highest. There's seven subtypes, subscales. And I have found that really helpful in being able to understand where my client is at and being able to come up with some really practical strategies to help reduce that distress and really and prevent it in the long run is to and then prevent it from happening again is to understand really what's going on. Where where are you experiencing it? How are you experiencing it? What are some things that we can do from potentially a relational lens? You know, do we need to get people involved? Do we need to work through some of those mental and relational barriers as far as feeling comfortable talking to somebody about diabetes, helping to educate and helping to navigate boundaries and navigating getting them involved. So it can kind of work either way, depending on, again, depending on the the distress, people are, some family members are really, really involved and it's like, ah, too much. And then sometimes like, no one's involved at all. And it's like, it's way too little. And so we need to find like, what's that balance that each, each individual person needs. So that's one thing, you know, the rate relational, and then sometimes it can be there's with hypoanxiety, for example, sometimes there's a trauma that somebody experienced. Sometimes it's a lack of knowledge that they, they just don't know how insulin works. And so insulin can feel really scary when you don't know what it's doing in your in your body that you can't you don't feel like you can predict it or that you can kind of understand like what does it mean when there's three units of insulin on board and my blood sugar is 147 like I don't do I need to be worried <laughs> you know I mean so maybe maybe not you know and and to have that education can help to lower distress and that's sometimes I think actually oftentimes one of the biggest reasons that people have a lot of anxiety and dis- distress around numbers is the understanding that they have and the story that has been told to them about numbers and that they're now telling themselves. So knowing what you know now about diabetes and about life as a diabetic, what are some things that you would have changed or gone back and maybe have corrected had you have known? Hmm, that's a good question. It's an interesting question because the way I manage my diabetes is so very different from previous phases of my life. I mean, I didn't start wearing a CGM until I was like 25. Like I, it's hard to go back and to say, you know, you'd have these tools and, you know, do things this way because it wasn't really there. It wasn't an option, really. I think one of the things that I started doing when I started really working in diabetes, I started when I was probably, I don't know, mid twenties. We'll just going everything was mid twenties. I don't really remember. But one of the things when I started working in diabetes was I was, I was able to go to some conferences. I was able to spend a lot of time around the experts around and not just like ivory tower experts, but these were also experts who actually had diabetes too. They were the endocrinologists and the educators who were educating everybody else. And I think that exposure to people who 
were living with it for a long time and really being able to see their trajectory of just being able to see their life as an example, I think was really, I don't think I did that that early. I think that came maybe a little bit later because I know when it came time for me to start a family with my husband, when I was in high school, I was pretty sure... I remember this is one of the first conversations I ever had with my husband. He was my boyfriend when I had it, was that I wasn't even sure I wanted to get pregnant. That I was thinking, well, maybe, you know, I might, adoption might need to be a thing that we explore. You know, I didn't really know anything about a diabetic pregnancy at that point. And I was 23 at the time and I didn't have kids until 31. So it was a while. It was a while before we ended up having uh, starting our family. And through that, I was able to just meet so many people who were older and wiser than me who had gone through all these things that I just didn't know. How do, how do people do this? And that's honestly why I started doing the work that I do. So that's something that I think management wise, it's a little bit tough because it's just there's, I couldn't have started it any earlier. I couldn't have really done what I'm doing now back then. But as far as really pursuing those relationships with like mentors, I value them so much. And I do wish that I had started that even earlier. So were, were those relationships that you built at those conferences, your influence into working in diabetes or in mental health overall? All of the above. All, <laughs> okay. All of the yeah. My the timeline is probably a little yeah. I mean, I started technically working in diabetes when I was sixteen, and by work, that's I use that term very loosely. I was not paid. I started a website when I was sixteen years old, writing about diabetes research because I didn't understand what the heck anybody was talking about, and I was pretty sure other people didn't know what the heck anybody was talking about either. So I said. I'll learn and then I'll explain it, which is essentially what I've been doing for the last 20 years is I learn and then I re-explain to everyone else. I don't know. I'm like the translator. And I did that. And then I did it a little bit in college too with, uh, with a different website and then kind of, you know, graduated and I got a real job. I wasn't in college anymore. I wasn't in high school. I I get a real job and did real job stuff for a while. And then I started working for Diabetes Mine. And I started freelancing for them in 2010. And I worked for them for about two years. And then I did freelancing after that. And I still sometimes kind of dabble in freelancing. But that was really that was really kind of the the beginning. But even even before that, even when I was, you know, in college, you know, being able to meet an interview even if it was just online or over the phone, people to, to talk to people and, and get these lessons. You know, it was like, I mean, every interview was like going to school. It was like, you know, a 30, 30 minute, 60 minute tutoring session on diabetes. And even more so once I got into going to the conferences because I was, I was writing about them. I was covering them. People, you know, somebody was paying me to go and to write about it. And it was there that I really, I remember I, I interviewed an endocrinologist, Ann Peters. She is 
she's an endocrinologist in LA. I can't remember if she's adult or pediatric. I think she's an adult endocrinologist. But we were, I was doing an interview with her about emerging adults and diabetes because there was all this like research through the, what is it? The type one exchange or T1 exchange, whatever. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's type Um, one exchange. Type one exchange. And there was some research coming out about the, I mean, struggles, I don't even think begin to cover what young adults with diabetes experience, but we'll go with that. (laughs) The struggle of the young adult experience, which I had just finished. I was like 24, 24, 25. And I was like, wow, this is, this is like, this is a thing. And, and I, and I kind of felt like is writing about it enough is, you know, going to events and just sharing what other people are doing. Is that, did I feel like I was participating enough? And I said, no, I actually want to see if I can help like a specific person. I really wanted that interaction with someone to know that I was helping, which is maybe sort of reverse of, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe reverse of how a lot of people approach things where they really want to like impact the masses. Like I was, I mean, my, the readership of Diabetes Mind was many, many thousands. I don't want to say millions, but many, many thousands people every month. And, and I was like, I want to go from that to like five people, you know, I mean, I'm going to like drill down. And obviously that has since changed because I got on Instagram a, a few years ago. And so that's, that has helped to kind of bring it back open again. But yeah, that was really being, being part of these conversations about how these clinicians were supporting people through diabetes management and a little bit with mental health. And that was the thing was mental health was such a teeny tiny part of the conversation, which is irritating. And so, you know, going from this idea of, I want to share all these things that these great people are doing that I get to meet and I get to learn what these great people are, are, are doing and, and talking about it and writing about it. And isn't this cool to going, but I want to do it. I want to do what they're doing. I want to be impacting the people too. I don't want to just be writing about it. So switched gears, started off in one direction, veered over into, into mental health because I realized that that really was kind of when I really thought about why do you want to work with people with diabetes? What, what is that? And it was like, I don't necessarily want to just give the same information out over and over again. I really wanted to be able to support people with those real life challenges that they had, not just figuring out how to use an insulin pump, which is really important. I don't want to knock teaching people how to use an insulin pump. That's, that is really important, but I wanted to go a little bit deeper than what I saw traditional diabetes education looking like. And so that's why I have this weird hybrid cross section of diabetes management, education, mental health kind of swirling together in this very oddball kind of look. So that's how I got to where I am today, which probably was like way more answered than you were looking for. But there you go. We appreciate hearing it. We love it. I was like, I hope this is interesting (laughs) to somebody. It was perfect. It was awesome. It's such a good like (laughs) overarching, like this is where I am. And I love it. It's really cool. 
this, you know, this is, it's hard, you know, the, I don't know how old you guys are, but the older you get, the harder it is to like kind of package your like story into like three sentences. You're like, okay, how did I get to where I am? Well, it yeah. was a stormy Tuesday evening. And, <laughs> you know, it's, anyways. So what are the most common questions and concerns people have when they come to you for help? Like either diabetic wise or just like overall like general burnout or, you know, that kind of like general mentality? Yeah. Well, I would say, oh, let's see where to start. I see a lot of people who, I mean, broadly speaking, I would say people are just feeling really unsupported, that they just feel like nobody really understands what they're going through. Nobody's really explaining how to make it easier. This really complicated, very demanding job and helping them to figure out how to make it just a little more integrated and a little more seamless and, you know, and to kind of reduce some of that, that stress and time that it takes. So you can have a little bit more of the things that you actually want in your life because nobody really, nobody signed up for this. So I think that's one thing. I I think a, a lot of clients come to me especially if they're coming to see me for counseling which is different than than coaching counseling is really about the emotions it's really i'm i'm really struggling emotionally with with management i mean i've had clients who have experienced trauma related to low blood sugars so they have they have really significant hypoanxiety I've had clients that are working through perfectionism and are struggling to to actually have some highs. They're like the opposite, you know, that they have like hyper anxiety. If that is a, I don't know if that's a term anybody's used, but they it's sort of the opposite. And and then I have you know some some people who are just struggling with complications and are feeling a lot of shame about that. Because they do feel responsible for what happened and they're struggling to come to terms with the impact that that's having on their life. So counseling is really emotional. It's really about kind of coming to terms and kind of working through the feelings stuff. And I do a little bit that, a little bit about that in my school of diabetes classes. We touch on, on that. Coaching in my classes tends to be a lot more. So when people come to me for coaching, they tend to be mostly confused. I would say is the, is the biggest thing there is they just don't understand what's happening and they're tired of it. They want to feel, they want to feel more in control. They're tired of the roller coasters. They're, they're fed up with their endos telling them you need to get better control and kind of doing the scare tactics of the complications. And they're just like, but they're not, you're not telling me how you're not telling me what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe they do know what to do. And they're struggling with how to implement any of that stuff. Like, I know I need to take my insulin earlier, but I'm, I'm anxious about my insulin. And I don't really understand how I can take my insulin early and not go low. And you know, like, or I, I pre-bolsed one time and I went low and so, you know, and they just, there's, there's not enough real structure and, and kind of scaffolding 
around an individual to feel like they can increase their confidence and increase their competency and increase that empowerment and and really enable them to live the life that they're that they want with their diabetes kind of related to this whole combination of diabetes and mental health tell us about the diabetes and mental health conference that's coming yeah. up yeah yes so kind of going along with what i was saying earlier you know my my realization that you know diabetes management gets a lot of airplay mental health and diabetes gets a token session, you know, if we're lucky at some of these events. And I just thought that that just seemed really unfair and, and out of balance. And so I approached a colleague of mine, Sarah Adams, who is a licensed clinical social worker in New York. And I said, Hey, do you want to organize a conference with me? And she was like, sure. So we've been working on it for a few months now. It is, it's an amazing conference that we've put together so far. It's still in the works as of the time we're recording this, but it is, it's virtual. So that's, I think, a big plus as we decided for a couple reasons. One, COVID, you know, just be honest, it's, Part of that. And two, it's our first conference ever. So we were like, well, virtual will be easier to kind of logistically organize. We don't have quite as much to figure out. And we just really wanted to make it accessible. And that was the third thing is we, we really wanted this event to be accessible for as many people as possible because we know that mental health services are inaccessible for a lot of people. And, and even though this conference does not replace therapy, it's a start and it's a, it's a beginning of a conversation that I hope will inspire people to keep going and to have the conversation, you know, in their own town, you know, wherever they live. So we are going to have a number of sessions focusing on, on all kinds of topics ranging from perfectionism and burnout to, um, food and eating disorders, mindfulness. We have some, we have a, a speaker who is a therapist with diabetes who specializes in mindfulness. So we're going to have just a session on that. And we're also going to have a track for providers and caregivers to also learn about mental health and diabetes, both to support the, those that they're taking care of with their mental health and as it relates to diabetes, and then also caregiver mental health, which is a, also an unsung, often overlooked issue in our community is caregiver burnout and and caregiver stress and trauma. I I have a client right now. I actually I have I have a coaching client who is a parent, I have a counseling client who's a parent. And so I get I get parents too. And um it's it's remarkable what they go through and also do not get support in. And so this conference is for everyone. It is for all types of diabetes. It is for caregivers. It is for providers, all providers, endos, CDEs, therapists, anyone who has an interest in the intersection of diabetes and mental health. That's what the conference is. And we're, yeah, we're really excited to see where it goes. So what is your favorite part about working with people who do have chronic illnesses? 
My favorite part about working with, usually when people are coming to me about a chronic illness, diabetes, or a number of other chronic illnesses, I've worked with people with chronic pain, Crohn's, RA, is the there can be a real hopelessness, I think, that people come come into the room initially with. And to be able to help people navigate bringing some of that back in, helping them to kind of see what life can be like with their chronic illness. So acceptance is a huge, not, and barrier is not the right word. It, it's just like a, and I don't want to refer to like the stages of grief because it's not quite like that, but, but a little bit. I mean, there's, there's an acceptance component to having something permanent that you don't want and didn't ask for show up. Even years down the line, people can come and realize I never really accepted it. And that's one of the reasons why diabetes burnout can happen is is because of the acceptance. You can just keep thinking it's going to go away or it's going to, you know, something about it is going to change um, and, and it doesn't. And It's kind of and, like seeing oh. a 100 for a really long time on your CGM and you're like, am I cured? And then you like, you poke back to the 12 hours to the 24 hours and you see all these wild swings. I'm like, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's just this, the sense of giving people some comfort, I think, and some idea of what their, what their life can look like so that they feel, they feel empowered. I feel eh, empowered is maybe a little overused. But just, I don't know, there's just a shift in their presence that happens when you see someone who is really struggling and they just move through some of those struggles. They, whether they get answers from someone else, they're just, they're given information. Sometimes they're just, they are just helped to see things a different way. And sometimes it's actually being given permission that the way they see things is okay and how they feel about things is okay. And, and to actually feel those things instead of feeling like, I need to hurry up and get over this. I need to hurry up and be okay. I need to hurry up and like look at the silver lining. I need to hurry up and be empowered. I need to hurry up that they can actually go as slow and that their healing can take as much time or as little time as as they need. And I think therapy can really give that give that space. It just gives people some space to be themselves for a little bit. And when you've had something that is fundamentally changing who you are, that's and that can be a really nice feeling. Speaking of that, what's your best piece of advice for both type one and type two diabetics? who are in that kind of self-judgmental loop over their blood sugars and all of those other measures of control. Yeah. So, so this is something I teach in my mindset class. We spend a whole week on judgment versus curiosity. And this is a really important skill in order to have a mindset that I think is, is going to bring people in the direction that they want is, is to be able to tune down that self-critic and really sort of turning up that the compassionate curiosity. And so I think part of part of the judgment 
big part of the judgment, big part of the burnout too, is expectations. A lot of judgment comes from your evaluation of what you're seeing. So if, if you're, if you're seeing a roller coaster and you're going, Oh my gosh, this is terrible. And then also layered on top of that is this meaning that you're making out of whether or not you're, you're doing something. And so the, the judgment often is this like self-reflective judgment of the number isn't where I want it to be. The number, the number is a, is a failure. And therefore I am also a failure. And it is really like, insidious the way that our our brain does that how it makes these kind of connections but it's not unique to diabetes this kind of cognitive distortion happens all the time everywhere <laughs> school work your mom yelled at you to put your clothes away oh my god my mom hates me i'm the worst kid ever you know it's just it shows up in so many different places. It's, it is not at all unique to diabetes. And, and so I think we can also give ourselves some, some grace. And so this is very much like a, a brain process. And so part of that is to be able to, to slow down and to, and to recognize first and foremost, that's one of the biggest skills anybody can learn is to really be aware of what you're thinking of being able to kind of stand outside a little bit to go, how am I thinking about this right now? What's the story I'm telling myself right now about this? Instead of just having the thoughts. Because most of us, were just in auto mode. Ugh, this number is crappy. Ugh, I suck. I'm the, I'm the worst diabetic on the planet. Everyone else is doing so much better than me. Why even try? And it's burnout, right? You see, really, you know, I said it really fast. This is more of a, a little bit slower of a process. And, you know, in real life, and usually it's not even something that people are really aware of those steps that they took. But if you slow down, you can go, okay, how am I feeling about this number? Okay, this is a high number. Like, let me, okay, let me slow down and like, okay, how am I thinking about this right now? Like, what's my, what's my response? Kind of doing a little bit of like check-in and kind of coaching and evaluation. And that's one of the ways that we can actually break out of judgments is just simply by recognizing what's happening. Because then we're able, we're able to kind of go, oh, that's kind of a judgy thought. And we want to work really hard not to judge ourselves from having of having judgments, because that's not helpful either. We want to go, okay, that was a judgment. Okay, I'm going to set that aside. How do I want to think about this? What's going to be the most useful or helpful frame? to look at this number. And we may say, okay, I've, you know, I've heard people say that I should use this, you know, as like a a direction point that it's just, it's just a number. It's helping me to make some decisions about what I'm going to do. I can still be, I can still not like the number. That's okay. You can, you can objectively say, I don't like that. My blood sugar is high. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But the self-judgment and like that inner critic, it takes that this number, I don't like this number, and it just snowballs it really fast. So that's what that mindfulness can do is just to kind of help us like, let's roll it back a little bit before we go all the way, all the way down the hill into the ditch. So that's a little bit about judgment. 
So other than the conference, are there any like new projects you're working on or anything that like people can get excited about for you? Yeah. So right now, okay. So giving what day this is airing right now, I am enrolling for the spring term for school of diabetes. And so I, I teach four classes. The four classes that I teach are essentials of pattern management, which is basically a high level overview of all things diabetes management, basically how to understand what your numbers are trying to tell you about what is working, what isn't working, what to try next, how to do that. Um, I teach, um, I have a couple of frameworks for assessment and creating your diabetes experiments so that you can actually find real world sustainable solutions to what we all go through. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier about, about the food, the food question. Like, I really want to eat this how? And it's like, well, there's a framework, you know, me saying, well, I take X amount of insulin and I pre-bolus or I extend my bolus or whatever it is. Like, that's my answer. That's not necessarily going to be anyone else's answer. And so instead of that, we just look at what are some questions that you can, you can ask as you're looking over your CGM data and also like your, your day to day data to make more informed and more in more informed decisions to have more successful outcomes. So that's that class. I teach a burnout class, which is again kind of walking through a framework for understanding where your burnout is coming from, what you can do about it, and how to prevent it from happening again in the future. Um, that's a really fun class because we're able to have some discussions with other people who are also experiencing burnout or who have experienced burnout. I teach a mindset class that goes over four um, four things. We talk about the differences between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset and how that how we can apply that to living with diabetes. We talk about self-compassion, radical acceptance, and judgment, non-judgmental stances and taking a compassionate, curious stance in your diabetes. And then last fourth class is uh, T1D and the three P's, which is my pregnancy class. So three P's, preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum. So for anyone who is thinking that they want to have a baby someday or is actively trying to conceive or, or even is pregnant, I've had, I've had pregnant women in, in the class, you know, they're, they're, they're in it already. That's a really fun one. So. And that one, of course, is, you know, in addition to my years of, of diabetes is also really fun because I have two babies, well, two kids, I have a four and a half year old and a nine month old. And so I really, I enjoy being able to do that because like I said, back when I was 23, I did not think this was a thing that I would be able to do. So I get to part of the privilege and honor of my work is being able to turn around and give some of that back to other people. That whole school of diabetes sounds awesome. And I'm sure our listeners are thinking the same thing. So it's where can they fun. find both you and all of the stuff that we've talked about today? Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the best place is probably on, on, just go to Instagram. I'm the diabetic therapist on Instagram. And then most of the links for all of my various projects, the conference, school of diabetes will be on my link tree, which is linktr.ee backslash the diabetic therapist. 
And that's where that kind of houses everything that I'm working on. All right. We will make sure to link to everything in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on to talk to us today about mental health. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. All right. Our question for you guys this week is, what is the story you're telling yourself right now about your diabetes? And that is it for this episode of This is Type 1. Thank you so much to Allison for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find her on Instagram at The Diabetic Therapist, and you can also check out her link tree, which is going to be the link in her bio on Instagram. And you can also check out the Diabetes Mental Health Conference Instagram, which is at DMH Conference, and you'll be able to find all of those links in the show notes. And the show notes are at inspiredforward.com slash episode 137. That's 137. Are you interested in being a guest on the show? You can apply at thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade. I'm on all social media as at Inspired Forward, and our email is Colleen at InspiredForward.com. Our podcast Instagram is at This Is Type One Pod. That's the number one. If you search it, it comes right up. I'm personally on Instagram as at JJ underscore Crystal KAT. Please feel free to send me questions or comments you have about type 1 diabetes or about the show. If you do reach out on Instagram, just make sure you mention your listener. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to listen next week for another episode about real life with type 1 diabetes. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com slash community. I can't wait to see you there.